Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you by HelloFresh. If you are feeling like you're stuck in a dinner rut and you're tired of trying to figure out at the weekend what you're going to eat for the next week, this is like a thing we do at my house every week. Ah, what do you guys want to eat for dinner this week? Man, that's the worst part of my Sunday. And HelloFresh, eliminating it, man. Pre-measured ingredients, mouth-watering seasonal recipes, and they show up at my door. We're in this bowl phase, right? You can put, put all these ingredients in a bowl. You can put like, uh, you can do bibimbap. You can do like something Mexican. You know, there's all these recipes. They hook it up. We can do the bowl thing all we want through HelloFresh. You can skip all those trips to the grocery store, and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. 30 minutes or less. There's a whole section of those recipes, too. It's awesome. Go to the link in our show notes. Get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh. It's the number one meal kit. Check it out. Don't go to sleep, mother. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. We made it. What's up? My name is Brian. Hey, it's Murdoch, everybody. He's always mid-drink. Every time we open the mics, it's like he's got to get one more one more taste on his lips. That's all right, man. It's what fuels the energy. I'm, I'm I don't think I want to go back to bars. Yeah, I mean, not at all. Why? I mean, I, I guess if there's like a, a, a very practical reason why I'm going, like if a bunch of people from work are going, like if I'm I call you and say, like, meet me at a bar, or you're just otherwise going to come to my house and drink out of the four bars that we've installed in the new place. Right. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not going to be just like, I'm just going to go to a bar to go to a, it's, it's if all right, I man. have to on in some reason. So, yeah, the alcohol's here. Uh, well, uh, we're also here to discuss the rumor and innuendo around your favorite bands and your favorite songs. We're talking really specifically about a song today. We're going to talk, listen, man, we're going to talk crime because we're getting high marks for the true crime stuff we've been doing. We're going to talk culture. We're going to talk karaoke. Hit me with your go-to karaoke song. Delilah by Tom Jones. Really? Mine is Your Love by The Outfield, though I really just wanted to tell you that it was strung out by Steve Perry to gauge your reaction. I really like uh, Change by John Waite. That one's kind of hard to find. What's the What's the big John Waite song? That one's good. Too. I ain't missing you at all. I ain't missing you at all. Since no you've been gone. Uh, remember yeah. that time when we worked together and we did Backstreet Boys karaoke at the company party? Yes, I do. <laughs> and I and I had to fake my way through. Yeah, you didn't uh, know that Backstreet Boys song as well as I did. It was revealed who was the Backstreet Boys closet fan who knew all of the Swedish lyrics that don't make sense to that uh, I Want It That Way. That song makes no sense, um, man. Yeah, it's, that, that stuff I still, still do not know. But however, I will say I have learned how to play I Want It That Way uh-huh. since then. Oh, okay. And it's a very, it's a very pretty song. Uh, what's your overall feeling about karaoke in general? You good with it? Yeah, I, I guess so. Like, there's, I, I, I definitely, there's times when I've walked into a place and thought, like, ah, so I'm gonna be here for an hour plus. This is gonna be awful. Uh. So, I don't know. Like, I guess you just have to commit. Well, you're it, gonna go do. As do someone it. who always wanted to be a rock star but never wanted to put in the work, I have a certain affection for it because it's the it's the quickest shortcut to. Two minutes of feeling like you're in charge of something on a oh, stage. Oh, so you you really yeah. And I saw you do. Um, 
Uh-oh, what did you see me do? My my own worst enemy? Was that what oh, you did? That was a, there was a period where I was doing my own worst enemy a lot, and then I realized I'm not very good at doing that song. I'm much better when I can find that like there is a certain range and that your that outfield song is in that range. Like I need to be in the right range. Do you do you know what the word karaoke translates to in English? Barely in key. <laughs> Close. Empty orchestra. Which is like eerily poetic. I kinda like it. That I really like that. That's great. How old do you think uh the karaoke is as a pastime? Just gut reaction. Don't think about it too long. For uh, 40 years. Yeah, so I was like, it's been around for the ages, but then I forgot like a key component, which is it involves a whole lot of technology, so it definitely hasn't been around that long. Uh, yeah, like an R- RCA plugs, you know, it has to have some type of converter box. So it kind of started in the, like the, the concept started in the 1960s. Like, do you remember in the early 60s, NBC had this show called Sing Along with Mitch featuring Mitch Miller. Do you know this? No. Hold on. I, I have a clip, and you have to you have to hear this clip because it's insane. <laughs> Fiddle and saxophone. Some railroad songs as exciting as the ride with the engineer. And finally, a rousing salute to Gilbert Sullivan. So let's warm up, shall we? So let me just explain what's happening there. Like, he's on the screen. He's got a full chorus behind him. And then on the screen, the, the, the words are popping up. So, I never knew that roses grew. And, like, I never knew that roses grew is showing up on the screen. So you could sit at home in 1960s America and sing along with this wow. guy. What it reminds me of, and I'm curious, because since we're sort of in, in different generations in terms of elementary school experiences... Did you ever have to do the Disney sing-alongs with the follow the bouncing ball? We did those yeah. all through elementary school, man, where there would be like a Disney song and then they they would they would just like show it like a music class or like I don't know when somebody was sick, they just stick in these videos and I still remember what they looked like, the Disney sing-alongs and it was follow the bouncing ball and it, it they would play, you know, some song from Lady and the Tramp and then the little ball would bounce over the words so you could s- sit there in the classroom and sing along with it. No. Now, my elementary school, the bouncing ball was was like a. I hope Neil Young will remember a southern man don't need <laughs> him around it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It just sounded really funny. <laughs> All right, kids. Uh, okay, for so for what we know now is karaoke to actually happen. The technology had to catch up, and that starts to happen in the seventies, right? And this is actually like a really interesting case of intellectual property and patent law that I had never heard before. But in short, I don't know if you know anything about the advent of karaoke, but it it, it is Japanese. Japanese guys invented the basic karaoke technology, but they never patented it. In the late 60s, there's this guy, he's in the car audio industry, and he makes this early prototype of a karaoke machine. And then in 71, there's this musician, and his name is Daisuke Inui, and he more or less creates the first real karaoke machine. And the story's super cool, because he's a drummer, which is not typically what you think of, right? But he is going to dinner parties and playing the drums, and... <laughs> People keep asking if they can get recordings of his drumming so that they can sing over top of him. Guy apparently knows an opportunity when he sees one, so he starts screwing around with making this tape recorder-like machine that will play songs when you put a coin in it. And because he was really smart, he leased these suckers out. So he would record some songs to it, 
he would say, here's the three songs or whatever. He would send it out, and then he'd get it back in a few weeks. He'd put new songs on it, right? So people wow. kept wanting to, to take it. it. It kind of catches on. It becomes popular entertainment in the area, and they start putting them in restaurants and hotel rooms. But the dude, like, I don't know what his... I don't know if he just didn't have the know-how and the understanding about patent filing or, or what, but never files a patent on it. So while he might be the inventor by lore... By technical terms, the patent holder for the karaoke machine is a guy named Roberto Del Rosario, which does not sound Japanese, right? Uh, he really added in the sing-along element around now, uh, 1975, and he is from the Philippines. And that is important to note, because the Philippines are a central character in the story that we are about to unfurl. I'm really excited. Let me let me quote a BBC travel article from 2011 here. It's an understatement to say that Filipinos love karaoke. Almost every Philippine home has a karaoke machine or a Magic Sing microphone, (laughs) a digital mic that turns your television into a karaoke machine. It's almost always a feature at birthday and holiday parties, and scores of bars and restaurants offer karaoke or videoke, which is a more competitive version that scores singers and records their performances. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. So I read this and I felt obliged to get a personal endorsement of this statement from someone who was Filipino because it felt very weird to be the white guy threading the needle on this story without getting at least a little insight from somebody who actually lived there. So I reached out to my buddy Nico. Nico lived in the Philippines, I believe, until he was 11. And I think he still travels back regularly to see friends and family. So he's got, I mean, I have sat around a table with him and heard just hilarious stories about driving through parts of the Philippines, doing crazy stuff with his uncle. So he he knows the environment and he knows the history and the culture and all that sort of stuff. So I reached out to him and I, I basically was like, do Filipinos really love karaoke? And, this, and he writes back. <laughs> Fun fact, my mom had a side business where she rented out a karaoke machine, which was essentially a large TV attached to a tricked-out arcade machine. This was very common, and folks were able to rent it out for the day, and they could just put a quarter into it for a song, or they could sing all they wanted for a flat fee. So apparently, it's real. It's confirmed by one Filipino guy. (laughs) And the, the other thing is, what a great cultural invention to to happen that that's that's a business now yeah i mean he he was joking he then started flooding my phone with like facts about karaoke and things that he knew i mean some of this i actually learned from him uh and then went back and double checked it just about i was like man he's like telling me a lot of stuff um but when it comes to karaoke bars in the philippines this is something really interesting that i did not know there are like a wide spectrum of types. Like so here, I think we, we just kind of think of karaoke bars, right? That's sort of it. And, uh, you know, in the town we live in, there was a shouts to my buddy, Zach, who opened a, a bar that has the private karaoke rooms, which is really common in other parts of the world and not so common in America. I think it's becoming more common where you and like me and you and some of our friends can go like rent a room. So we're not like in the larger bar in front of everyone. Um, so that that's all existed there forever. But there's also like family KTVs, which stands for karaoke television. And it, and those are for all ages. So like we can take the kids. They've got food. You can do the private room thing, the whole deal. Then there's like regular karaoke bars. 
and these are like where you have some drinks and you embarrass yourself publicly. That's more the American experience. Yeah. But there are nightclubs, nightclubs that are basically strip clubs with karaoke. This is a real thing in the Philippines. Exotic dancing and back rooms where, you know, you, you might do more than singing. You might make someone else sing. So basically from birthday parties to going out to eat to finding that special companion, almost all areas of Filipino life do in fact lean pretty heavy on the karaoke. I'm, I might be 100% wrong, but I swear in Denver, Colorado, when I lived there 20 years ago, Diamond Cabaret <laughs> had, had a karaoke room. Can we get but our Denver consultant I, on the phone? I need to know if someone I, can confirm a Diamond Cabaret in Denver. You think it's still open? I, I can tell you from 100% that the, the food was excellent. <laughs> yeah, of course it was. The articles were good, it, too. It was it was, to, it was totally weird. I remember I moved there, and they were, they were like, we're going to all have lunch at uh, Diamond Cabaret. And I was like, that's hilarious. Wait. Are you guys serious? This is really a thing that we're doing? Uh, let me just say that when I wrote Diamond Cab Denver uh, autofilled in Google, it appears yeah. to still very much be open. Wowzers. No yeah. no word on whether or not they have a uh, they have a karaoke room. But I, I, if you are in Denver and you want to confirm this, it's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. We'd, we'd love to know. That brings us to the core question we need to ask today. You might be saying, like, why are we talking about karaoke? This is not very rock and roll. There's a rumor that has semi-recently plagued the karaoke bars of Manila and beyond and caused many owners of sing-related establishments to actually issue a ban of a certain song. Is it true that between 2002 and 2018, there have been a dozen or more murders in the Philippines that took place because someone was doing karaoke to my way by Frank Sinatra. Wait, that they all really, there, there has been a dozen reported killings during which somebody was singing my way. I'm going to say it's true. I mean, it's a little weird to make up, right? So before we get into the cases, can we pause and spend some time on the musical side of this for a moment? Let's talk about the song, My Way. Personal feelings. Murdoch, you have the floor. I remember in college, there was a, a record store and it was closing. And he wanted, he wanted us to play That's Life by David Lee Roth. And uh, we didn't have it. And so I, I put uh, My Way by Frank Sinatra behind it, and I think he was happy with that. So when I think about My Way, I think about Glorious Blue Eyes Sinatra. That's not his song. He didn't write it. He, he doesn't write any of them. He tells you before he sings them. Yeah, but do you know oh, who wrote it? Is it, um, is it Paul Anka? It's a Paul Anka song, but it's not even yeah. a Paul Anka song. So th this, is, this is a great story. So Paul Anka is on vacation. In 1967. And you know like when you're on vacation and there's that song you can't get away from? He's on the, the southern shores of France and he just keeps coming across this song called Comme de Habitude. It's by Claude Francois. Je te bouscule, oh, tu ne te yeah. réveilles pas. 
I mean, obviously, you know where this is headed. So he loves it. And he's like, man, I have got to have this song for the American market. Now, I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently this was like really common in the 60s where people would go over and they would take French pop songs and pop songs from other countries and they would basically buy the American rights to them and then just create new lyrics. Like, are you aware of this phenomenon? And create new lyrics. So, yeah, so this song is not my way. It is yeah, literally something, something totally different. Yeah, the the word if we were to translate that, and and I looked, and I, I don't even remember, but it's not interesting. Like, it's just a totally different song. You know, my mom's favorite artist when she was kind of into into music at all or seeing concerts, it was Paul Anka. I knew your mom was going to come up in this conversation because you, I, you, you and I have talked about this, maybe not on mic, about her love of Paul Anka. So I knew, I knew there was a connection there. Yeah, and I saw Paul Anka once. With her, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, t- yeah, tell me about that experience. Uh, it was at Bally's in Las Vegas, and we were at the front, like, front table right up next to the lip of the stage or whatever, and and he did my way or whatever, and it was crazy. I mean, it was he was entertaining or whatever, but he had, like, he had like the tan, and I guess the plastic surgery had kind of started then, you know, whatever. But I remember the thing that just blew me, like, and they played the Tonight Show theme because that's it. Yeah, because that's, that's his, his. right? Yeah. And when he came out for the encore, he came out, and I remember he pointed right at me. <laughs> He's like, "I'm so excited, yeah, and I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control." And, I, and that was what he—that's what he closed with. <laughs> Wait, look at looking into your looking into your beautiful eyes. I'm so excited. I'm so <laughs> excited. Okay, so here I mean, here's the story. He basically is he flies to Paris and negotiates to own the rights to this song. Now, it, weird question. Have you ever gotten a car from a family member and they want to show purchase price for tax implications but they don't want to actually charge you so they quote unquote sell you the car for like a dollar? Yeah, 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 Brian, Brian, my un- my late Uncle Wayne, <laughs> rest in peace. I knew we were gonna get an Uncle Wayne story. Too. <laughs> sold me, sold me an old '88 yes. for one dollar. Yes, he for did. One dollar, Uncle Wayne, and and I and um, I got it. Uh, yeah, I, I got it at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember I, I didn't have a car. And that's what I got. And then it it blew up um, <laughs> on I twenty five in between Denver and Cheyenne, Wyoming, in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so but I got it for one dollar. That is essentially the deal Paul Anka inks on this song. Like he acquires adaptation, recording, and publishing no. rights for the nominal no. but formal consideration of one dollar. But. <laughs> These Parisians were slightly smarter than your Uncle Wayne. No offense. They put in a provision that the Melody's composers, them, would retain their original share of the royalty rights, which is actually the smart way to do it. So it's like, sure, you can use this, but if you have any success with it, we get back in. Now, they had no idea. Nobody, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what the 
the Parisian reputation of Claude Francois is now. As much as I know about music, French pop from the 60s is not real high on, on what I've retained. But I do know that My Way by Frank Sinatra is one of the most famous songs in American history. So yep. they're probably doing pretty good. I'm sure that family is set up with a lot of, of you know, they have a, a villa somewhere in the Parisian hills. Brian, um, frickin' Elvis... Oh, well, oh yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about the versions. There's all kinds. I mean, Sid Vicious. Yeah. Like, there's all kinds of versions of my. Oh way. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sid Vicious. But there's a live version of Elvis, like incredibly overweight Elvis on TV. Elvis '77 killing my way. Yeah. Yeah. So I read some stuff in the research about how people kept telling him to, like Paul Anka included, were like Elvis, don't do this song. <laughs> Like this is this song is not for you. Please don't. Uh, so Anka has this great tune, but like I said, he doesn't have lyrics. Like he doesn't get the translation sheet. That's not the point. He's not buying the cover. He's buying the melody. That's what he paid for. So he goes home and he's thinking about how he'd had this dinner with Frank Sinatra, where Frank claims he's going to quit the music business. He's sitting around with quote unquote some mob guys, and they're at some place in Florida, and he says, "I'm going to get the hell out." So he decides to write in Frank's voice. It's like one in the morning. He finishes the song at five in the morning and he calls Frank Sinatra. Now, for people who are not paying attention to this story, Paul Anka doesn't work for Frank Sinatra. Paul Anka is a Canadian superstar. So he's writing and doing his own stuff. But he knows Frank. He writes this song and he writes in Frank's voice. He writes like as Frank as a writing exercise. He calls Frank up, who was at Caesar's Palace, and he says, I've got something really special for you. And he basically gives him the song. Uh, Anka has said on the record that when my record company caught wind of what I had done, they were very pissed. (laughs) (laughs) I gave him the song. Uh, But now, uh, to your point, Anka has recorded the song. That's just not the version anyone remembers. Anka recorded it in 69, pretty close to when Sinatra recorded it. And then he's done like five other versions of it throughout. He did, he did a, there was a movie where he did a version of it with Gabriel Byrne. He did a version with Julio Iglesias in Spanish. And he did a duet with Bon Jovi. Wait, Paul Anka and Bon Jovi? had a few but then again too few to mention I did yeah and do that now I used to own this record because I was in radio and I remember there it being sent to the radio station it was the Paul Anka and I'd have to look up what the record was but it was like a Paul Anka duets record and it had all sorts of bizarre duets on it. I, I'm pretty sure, if my memory serves me correctly, and I'm pretty sure this one was on that because the time period would line up. So yeah, he's done it all over the place with everybody. But here's the craziest thing I discovered in this research. So I was like, done. I had all this this part written, and I ran across something that said, Paul Anka, not the first person to try to adapt that Claude Francois song. So... It's a hit in France in 67. And in 67, there is, or 68, there's a young unknown guy who is trying to make it as a songwriter and a performer. He has an album out that no one has listened to. And he's looking for a song for himself. And he gets 
the melody. And he writes a song called Even a Fool Learns to Love based on that same tune to my way. I just I like really think about this because I'm about to blow your mind. But no company would release the song because apparently it was hot garbage. And then while he's been shopping this song around, all of a sudden it shows up and Sinatra's made it a hit. You know who that songwriter was? 68. David Bowie. <gasps> Get the crowd gasped audibly. <laughs> Which, what? Hey, remember the episode this week brought to you by HelloFresh. You feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? HelloFresh is going to get you out of the rut. They're, they're rut removers. I don't know if that's what it is. They remove you out of the rut. Pre-measured ingredients, mouth-watering seasonal recipes, and it all shows up right at your door. And I don't know if you've looked at the options, but man, they've got a whole section of bowl recipes, right? You just want to put a bunch of ingredients in a bowl and it's delicious, like a Chipotle chicken bowl or a Korean bibimbap bowl. You can do it. All you got to do, HelloFresh.com. You can get the link and the code in our show notes. Go do it now. Okay, so back to Frank and Anka's version of this song. Here's what I'm saying. <laughs> what? This song This song was massive. My Way was massive. And I, you know, most of us have felt its impact in some way, shape, or form. But also, it's like a macho song, right? Paul Anka even points out in an interview that he wrote it like Frank and the Rat Pack talked. Like he said, it was all about sounding like you were in the mob. So, I mean, here's a mid-song excerpt. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out and I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it my way. Now, I bring up the machismo because when you start to look at these murders, one thing people bring up is that it takes a certain arrogance, and usually very drunken arrogance, to perform that song. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these things boil down to people being real mad at the audacity that someone has is displaying by performing this song. But let's yeah. start looking at the cases. The bulk of the reporting on this happens between 2010 and 2012. There is a New York Times article that I believe runs in 2010 detailing the first part of this. Um, and... A lot of times the reporting will point to like the first of these murders being an O2, but I have found some instances all the way back to 1998. And I've actually found some people claiming in the past few months that there has been a My Way murder as recently as 2018. <laughs> now, the most famous case splits the difference. 2007, it occurred in a karaoke bar in San Mateo. 29-year-old man. San Mateo, California? San Mateo Rizal. I was like, what? Okay. A 29-year-old man sang the curse song off tune, but he didn't care what others thought, and he continued singing. See, this is where the arrogance comes in. Losing patience with the deafening voice of the customer, the security guard pulled out his 38 caliber gun and shot the man dead. Not a patron of the bar, the security guard. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, this this has gone totally sideways true crime out of nowhere okay so there's a bunch of these there's a bunch of these stories 2018 this is the recent one a 61 year old man was killed by his neighbor at a birthday party 
The karaoke drinking session turned into a fist fight when Jose Bosmion, a senior citizen, grabbed the microphone from Rolando Caniso when he was about to sing My Way. Other guests around were able to separate the two, but this only gave time for Caniso to grab a knife and stab Bosmion in the chest. The latter was declared dead on arrival by a doctor. In 2012, another altercation over the song occurred in China. During a family reunion at a local karaoke bar, Mr. Yun's child sang numerous songs, including Sinatra's hit. And although it was amusing at first, two members of his extended family started to criticize him and his wife for raising a spoiled child. Arguments turned into shoves, which turned into punches. Things escalated violently to the point where a nephew grabbed a meat cleaver from a nearby noodle shop. What? And then, in defense of the host's honor, permanently silenced the criticizing relatives with a meat cleaver. Oh, wow! Now, how do you how do you explain this? Is there something about that song? Is there something about that song that turns people crazy? Well, I mean, there have been like literally there are like several think pieces where people go to like psychologists and they're like, "Wait, explain this. Why does this keep happening?" Yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, first of all, let's just say alcohol clearly involved in almost all these cases. So let's just make sure that's on the table. But, you know, the other thing, especially in the Philippines, where most of these have happened, the real culprit is supposedly the violation of karaoke etiquette. Like, do you know karaoke Uh, etiquette? Is this all about that someone gets up and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to do it. And then somehow there's someone with a walkie-talkie alerts someone else. And someone <laughs> comes down with a gun and shoots them. Like, what's the deal? I mean, like, is it, they're not happening yeah. at one bar, but they're just happening in one country. Now, there's some cultural consideration about when you read pieces about this. People will say the Philippines is a it's a violent place, right? But that it doesn't fully explain how many weird instances there are that specifically involve performing of this song, right? But it's it has become a real thing there where they've taken it out of karaoke machines in a lot of places. Now, when I said karaoke etiquette, fights start because customers hog the microphone, laugh at the singer, or sing a song over and over and over, which I mentioned mostly so that I can bring up the classic John Mulaney sketch where he talks about playing... Uh, What's Up Pussycat by Tom Jones in a Waffle House over and over and over. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> it's one of my all-time favorite stand-up bits. Man, that's a really tame thing. You know, if like if you did the things that I remember doing, playing the actual Waffle House song <laughs> over and over again <laughs> to the Waffle House crew, and then they go and they unplug the jukebox. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, that's the only scary. solution. That's the only solution. So, like, as I mentioned, over a decade worth of these deaths has turned my way into a total taboo. Some karaoke bars have removed it from their machines. A lot of people will not even perform it because of superstitions and the fact that, I mean, I don't even know. Is it a superstition when it's happened 12 times? It kind of feels like at that point you're really tempting the fates. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. I did feel like I had to ask... Nico as our Filipino consultant about this. And he gave me a different version of it. And he said, oh man, that's become a meme. 
he said the meme is that we never want to sing my way because back in the day, especially in rural provinces, folks would be drunk as fuck. This is this is Nico, not me. And they feel this song in their core. And when folks sing this, the audience would shoot their guns in the air like a popper or a firework. Uh-huh. This oh is gosh. just through word of mouth from folks and parents. I think just my way at the time was old Filipino men's version of Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh my gosh. Wow. I want to hug that guy. That's adorable. So, I mean, that's a little different than what the research says, right? Most of it says there's usually some sort of drunken skirmish. He's talking about people, he said people don't want to do it because people will just get excited and like shoot off firearms in the bar. Which does support the idea that the bars are violent places to go. Turn around. <laughs> the, the, the old drunken hands version of Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, have so have I told the story about Total Eclipse of the Heart in my college orientation? I've told you that story, right? Nope. So I told my wife this the other day, and we, we met in college, but we did not start on the same year, so we didn't go to the same orientation. And... She was like, that's not real. And I was like, babe, I swear. I was like able to tell her where it happened on campus and everything. I'm like, I promise you this is a real thing. So we went to an assembly like on the second day of orientation. And it was, I mean, long and short, it was supposed to be an anti-drug assembly. And so what they did was they did this musical number where all these, there was a, a girl who was like supposed to be the young college student. And then behind her were all these guys dressed in all black and they were holding, uh, they were facing away from the audience. And then every time, they would just play the song, and every time she would say, turn around, one of them would turn around, holding a piece of paper that had a name of a drug on it. And they were slowly coming closer and closer to the young girl on the front of the stage who was symbolizing the college student who had all her dreams and aspirations in front of her. And I will never forget because it was like the first one was like marijuana, cocaine. And like the third one was Ritalin. And I didn't know you could abuse Ritalin because I, I just did me. And I was like, wait, Ritalin? <laughs> like out loud looking down my row of strangers and being like, someone explain to me why it says Ritalin on that side. <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? Uh, okay, so... Not the only karaoke killings. There are other karaoke killings that involve other songs. I I do need to point out that in the same year that the the main My Way killing that everyone talks about from 2007 happened, there was an incident in Seattle, Washington, where a karaoke singer was attacked by a woman who really wanted him to stop singing Cold Place Yellow. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> look at the stars. How do they shine for you? I'm almost positive he was singing it just like that. Uh, and, and and like I the the rush of blow to the head with the face, whatever that that record is. Uh-huh, yeah, I think that I think that record is flawless. Yeah, like that's great. flawless, flawless. Like Motley Crue, shout at the devil. Flawless. Every song <laughs> is great. Sure, I'm sure that's how they normally tell people to. Chris Martin's like, you know, uh, I made that shout second album devil. and it was almost as good as Shout at the Devil. The, the one with looks that kill. That's kind of what it was like. 
But I think that's so funny that yellow would drive somebody freaking bonkers. I mean, I love Coldplay unapologetically across their entire career up to present day. And I understand it's not the coolest thing in the world, but I love them. I still find this hilarious. Uh, in, in March 2008, a man was arrested in Thailand for shooting eight people to death, including his brother-in-law, oh. in a dispute stemming from several karaoke offerings, including repeated renditions of John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads. Oh, It's hard to lie. Like I don't want to laugh at these things. We're, we're, there's so much remove. So I'm just reading things that happened 12 years ago. And these songs make it easy to make them punchlines, but these are like, I mean, eight people? That's a, that's a, it's, it's a lot of people. It's rough. Shot. Uh, in December of 2008, a man at a Malaysia coffee shop hogged the karaoke microphone so long that he was stabbed to death by other patrons <laughs> trying to get their turn. In 2012, a fight over the microphone broke out in a Chinese karaoke parlor, and a man killed two others with a meat cleaver. I don't know why the meat cleaver keeps coming back. Wow, this is crazy. Uh, in July 2013, an American was stabbed to death for refusing to stop singing in a karaoke bar in Thailand. That seems the most deserved. Don't be a don't be that tourist. Don't don't go all the way across the world and then think everybody wants to hear you sing. <laughs> right? I mean, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I mean, it, 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 it's a weird thing, man. Twelve killings. All related to Frank Sinatra's "I Did It My Way." Does it just happen? Be, it, it, does it? The song just start, and and generally, there's always someone with a firearm in the room, <laughs> and then that, and that it it's a trigger. It's like in that that Naked Gun movie where it's like <laughs> must kill Norberg, must kill Norberg. Yeah, I like, mean the the really good like seven episode podcast series that we should do next is when we like try to prove that there's like a brainwashing mechanism in the back of that song. If you have something you want to say about Frank Sinatra, My Way, karaoke, uh, any of those things, you can email us at wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. I, you know, I would also leave you with this advice. If you're going to go traveling in the Philippines, pick a different song. You're welcome to use that Steve Perry song I like. Or my kind of town, Chicago is. Manila is my kind of town. Manila is. Keep telling stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.